0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You don't put those inside of you, do you?
1: This is a show about women.
2: I mean, you do? Yeah.
3: Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah.
4: And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird?
3: Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today.
4: Check out our episodes where we welcome hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's
0: it! That's really
3: it! And Queen Casey
1: Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonard the Capricorn. <laughs>
4: As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself.
3: Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Hey dude,
5: the
2: 90s called with Christine Taylor and David Lasher.
5: Hey everybody, welcome back to Hey Dude the 90s Called podcast. I'm David.
2: Hi, David. I'm Christine. What's up, welcome Christine? Welcome back everybody. Nice yes. to see you, David. Nice I, to see I've you. I've gotten too. a lot of good feedback on our on our Q&A episode. How about oh, you?
5: Yes. Oh my gosh. It, and we only got through 20 questions in I an know. hour, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I think we, we, we answered a lot of questions. We got some, uh, some therapy done as far as, uh, how <laughs> I, I, that clip that we posted of, you know, <laughs> It Talking upset about you, us. yeah, Brad <laughs> know, and Ted and all that. I stuff. know.
2: I Kelly commented too. I want I, I meant to text her, but Kelly's like, What? I had no idea. I feel I, so bad. I was like, It wasn't your fault. I have to call her about it because, um, no, I, I, it is funny because it was something I think I just, you know, I felt very, um, cavalier about not, you know, letting you never, on how much it ever me.
5: mentioned that that was annoying and I would have been. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't even think about it till now like until <laughs> until our episode that yeah. that would have really bugged the heck out of me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it was th- that like that was a great question actually and I think you know we will we will definitely do do more and answer. We have everything that, you know we have all the questions from before still listed so we will get to those and if any more come in we'll keep a a list. Um Yeah, and our- I think we
5: should do you know th- turn a sort of like investigative true crime aspect to our show and we need to find joe torres
6: (laughs) i mean why why, i
5: mean why can't we just have a quick conversation with him yes
2: well remember and and i don't want to if in case our guest is coming soon but i'm looking because remember i think i said on the episode i'm um that we should get a statement from lisa our writer who is the one who had gotten that Information that he was, you know, the friend of a friend of a family member, and all of that. So Lisa sent me; she sent us an email actually, just saying, "Here's a concise Joe statement if you want it." And oh this wait, is wait, wait, sp- wait,
5: hold on. Is this new? Is this new news? No,
2: this is. First of all, are you not getting the emails that Lisa <laughs> is sending okay. us? We
5: have a statement from Joe Torres.
2: No, it's not from Joe Torres. Oh, okay. I said in the, because I said I was repeating third hand information, I didn't, you know, I was giving my disclaimer that, you know, Lisa heard from somebody who heard from somebody. So this is what Lisa sent me. She said, um, through a friend, I was I was put in contact with a cousin of Joe Torres, who was very protective of Joe's privacy and described him as as living off the grid. And that that's
5: was what why I need to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> not only I love the dude and I want to reminisce with him, but I, I want to know how do you live in today's world off the grid yeah, that I, fascinates me
2: it's good it's it's it is it we said it we said it it is classic Joe and I would expect it no other way um the 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 you know the mystique the it's, the that is Joe um we will we will keep tracking this we will i feel like P- now we've sparked more interest too so um but you know if he doesn't want to be found he doesn't want to be found if he wants to live off the grid you know maybe he's like in Joshua tree somewhere all right
5: we'll find him did, did ben stiller <laughs> come up with a character
2: <laughs> ben stiller's laughing that you want him to do a character uh, and he's what? honored i think he's honored that you that i think you you I don't even remember you saying this, but you—I think you called him the king of comedy, and so he's—he oh feels he, he, he got, might be getting a, a a big head about it. David, thank you. Oh, I'm like kidding. I'm the
5: only one to say Ben Stiller's <laughs> a, a, one of the greatest comedic actors. No, but, but he needs—if he would go back to his Ben Stiller show days, I mean, why does he call Bob Odenkirk?
6: <laughs> I, I, listen,
5: come I, we know really... they're
2: capable of it. Yes, let's. I—I okay. I, I told you, he's—he heard it. Uh, he's taking it in and let's let's see what he let's see what he comes back with
5: yeah if he called in with a character it would be phenomenal (laughs) uh our guest is here you want to uh you want to welcome him
2: the one and only mark mcgrath so exciting
5: (laughs) what's up dude
2: it's good to see you you look great i love your shirt Your
7: yeah
5: proper surfer beach boy attire
7: you know, I grew up in Newport Beach, California, so you can take the boy out of the beach, but can't take the beach out of the boy there, David. You know?
5: <laughs> Why would you want to? I mean, if I growing up at the beach, must have been the
7: greatest. It wasn't too bad. You know, the set of my uh, kind of teen years and my formative years was like it looked like Baywatch. You know, there was not a lot to complain about, you know, running on the beach. And I kind of hear you he that reflected in the music of Sugar Red, you know, because the early 90s is really about grunge, you know, the real sort of. You know, it was kind of a dark period, your shoes type of thing. And, you know, growing up in the Beasts, that wasn't our reality. You know, we wanted to have fun and and play music that uh, that uplifted us. And, you know, luckily uh, we were able to do that.
5: I spoke to a friend of mine, Peter Malkin, who's been in the music business for a long time. And, you know, by the way, let me just say anyone that I've told that we were interviewing you, it was like a unanimous excitement and like. Wow, that's that's a great guess. How you know? How did I not yes, think of that? So you are really nostalgia
2: and love and like, yeah, like exactly really, what you said, bringing that joy to like those memories of the '90s that we all had. Like you brought that, and so I the same. We're so yeah, excited you to are have well
5: you. Well loved as is your work, but um. Well,
7: thank but, you both. I, I want to say before I sorry to interrupt you, David, but that that means a lot to me. Really, I appreciate you guys having me on your your wonderful podcast. I've been watching it since I saw you guys on KTLA with Sam uh, talking about, you know, there was a trailer for the podcast. I go, that's really cool. I wish they'd call me. And here we go. You know, I put it out in the universe. So thank you both. I appreciate the kind words. Oh, oh th- thank you for so being here. So happy to have you. But Peter Malkin said to me
5: uh, that, I'm. he said, ask, ask Mark if they started out as a much heavier band. Like you were talking yeah, about me. early 90s was grunge and like really hardcore stuff. But you guys pivoted at some point and became like the biggest,
7: pop music band in the world but were you like a more of a hard band yeah absolutely you know we got to start in the late 80s i mean i'm dating myself but it'll be 35 years this july when we started the band and back then we didn't really know how to play i didn't really know how to sing and some say i still don't you know um you can't play you can't sing but you
5: want to go into music okay <laughs> there you go well, there you go See, and I'm you have a, dreamer, a degree David. from from usc
7: right i mean fight on man fight on I, Oh, I actually, awesome I did go to USC, and the second question usually is, did you graduate? I go, yes, I did. I actually graduated in 1990. Uh, So, yeah, David, getting back to the original question, um, the band was a lot just more aggressive back in the day. It was kind of, uh, we were younger. Bands that introduced them were like Guns N' Roses, Sex Pistols, Faster Pussycat. We were kind of raised on the early 80s Orange County punk rock scene as well. So a lot of that was in the DNA of the music. Um, And music wasn't our... It wasn't our job back then. We had day jobs to support our dream at night. Uh, Once we got signed to Atlantic Records in 94, um, not only did we get better as musicians, because it became our full-time job, we got better as songwriters as well. And that let us find chords like a D7, um, an E7, different chords that really like the Beatles chords, if you will. We got into harmony. So it really let us become better musicians and songwriters by Kicking up music full time, um, you know, I've always loved the Beastie Boys, but i love loved the Beach Boys and everything in between. So we kind of naturally started gravitating to bands that we loved growing up, but they were so, yeah, you know, talent-wise, so far ahead of us that we started catching these chords and throwing them in songs and going, "Ooh, that sounds good." Um, but we always maintained that. Aggressive early part two. You know, we have a song called Mean Machine that was the first single we ever released that we still play in our live show. So sometimes you rip wigs off going back when people are like, that doesn't sound like every morning or fly. And I'm like, welcome <laughs> to the history of Sugar Ray. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's so cool that it
5: happened organically and that you paid your dues and you put in the 10,000 hours, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell how to master sure. something. Mm-hmm. And rather than, oh, you know, our first, like we, we interviewed Adam Duritz. He's like our first demo had all our hit songs and that was it. We were, you know, but to have it happen and, and to become better and better and better
7: and then you hit sounds like a great way to do it. Well, we got lucky, David, because we were a product of something that was very sort of 80s and 90s. and That was artist development, which is not uh, uh, it's just not. It's not around anymore. Uh, labels right. don't even really have a and departments to, like, develop artists. They want right. artists fully formed and ready to go. Now, Counting Crows, I take my frosted tips off because <laughs> they, they they had their demo fully formed with all the hits on it. That makes oh me Oh, my mad God. It, it had Mr.
5: Jones. It had Round Here. It had, yeah. uh, wow. I mean, yeah. Wow, it, their demo wow. was...
7: But they're so talented. But getting back to, like, you know, we, we were able, Atlantic Records was able to develop us. Our, our first record, called Lemonade and Brownies, was a miserable failure. It didn't really do anything in the States. Really? I mean, a little bit of noise, a little bit of noise in Europe uh, during that sort of the early rap rock torn Deftones era, 94, 95. So we were kind of, you know, hanging our hats on that thing, but without the talent, without the sort of direction, we had no idea what's happening. But luckily luckily enough, we got on that. Then we got on Howard Stern in the mid 90s and that really let the label go, of, hmm, we just got a couple million dollars with the promotion in this band off the Howard Stern uh, look, let's let's let them make another second record. So we got lucky, David and Christine, that we we were part of the development era, which doesn't really exist anymore. It's very '90s, if you will.
2: And and yeah, I, I know I remember that term A and I mean, it, around, you would just I had a you know a, a boyfriend in my 20s, and he was a you know a, a, a blossoming musician, and it was always you would always hear about A and R, and like you said, it just doesn't exist anymore.
7: Absolutely.
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put
2: those
4: inside of you, do you? I mean...
0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
3: VTW Group, no purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
2: When did you form the band? Like, were you guys all together from high school days, from just kicking around Newport Beach?
7: Yeah, pretty much, you know, uh... The the band that became uh, Sugar Ray was a band called the Tories at my high school in Corona Del Mar High School. And they were the cool band that played all the cool parties, you know, okay. all the parties I couldn't get into. Um, but I, I knew all of them. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But I said, you know what, if I become their roadie and carry their equipment, doesn't that mean I get into the parties? Oh, my uh, God. And so so I quickly discovered... yeah. Right. I mean, you so carried I quickly...
5: equipment for a high school band. Oh yeah, without a doubt,
7: and and so no wonder you got into
2: USC. You had the smarts,
7: the hard worker. (laughs) So I graduated myself with the band uh, that eventually became Sugar Ray. A couple of them, there was three guys in that band. Uh, They had a uh, a singer who was strictly wanted to do sixty songs. He didn't want to do anything after like seventy four. And the band wanted to do a little bit more. Um, The drummer, Stan, and our guitar player, Rodney, wanted to do a little bit more and get a little more aggressive because Guns N' Roses and bands like that were happening. And they let me uh, sing a back uh, ACDC song with them at a party once because the singer, again, refused to do that. He had altruistic visions of being a mod and a 60s, like, hippie dude, and he would not play back in black, which is so weird to me. So I said, I'll do it. Now, I sang back in black, and I did it with the band, and... I don't necessarily think I did a good job, but I remember I did a flip into the pool at the end of the, <laughs> at the of the song and that kind of resonated in their minds. And so about a six months later, when the band eventually imploded, they said, Mark, do you want to give it a shot as a singer? I said, yeah, I, I'd love to. You know, because in my in my dream of dreams, uh, when I was younger, I wanted to be the point guard for the L.A. Lakers. I found out in fifth grade that probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, so, when you when you stop growing. <laughs> that too, yeah. My talent level, I can shoot the, I can shoot the three, David. But you know, well, I wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't gonna, you know. I'm with you, that, dude. Yeah, my dream play. was to
5: be a point guard for the Knicks. So,
7: then you know, man, we shared, it's, a, it's, a, it's a similar boyhood dream. But at that same time, when my dream was ending with the Lakers, I kind of saw David Lee Roth flying off a uh, kick drum and MTV. I go. That looks kind of fun. So I have it in the back of my mind of, of being something I wanted to do, but I could never tell anybody because I told you earlier I couldn't sing, couldn't write a song, couldn't play an instrument. Uh, small obstacles on the way to a musical career, but <laughs> just
5: a little bit. Luckily,
7: luckily they took a chance with me, we became the band. Man, we, we, we were called the Shrinky Dinks originally, believe it or not, and we actually got signed as the Shrinky Dinks. And I don't know if you remember the Shrinky Dinks were a toy growing up. Um, of I think Mattel made them, and. What a great idea for kids. You you, you cut up a piece of plastic and you put it in an oven and then you (laughs) play with it. The the toys were different in the 70s and 80s. Let it melt. Let this
2: toxic toy Uh, melt. Yes. But the coloring
7: kept them busy for like 10 minutes. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And then you had kids sticking their heads in the oven. Exactly.
2: Exactly. (laughs)
7: And so we got signed to uh, Atlantic Records uh, off the name Shrinkin' Inks. After we continued doing what the Tories were doing, we were playing like local parties. Um, and basically we were a cover band, but we got a couple original songs. And my good friend McGee, still my best friend in the world, he does a lot of TV. You may have known him. He directed Course. Charlie Angel. Yeah, yes, a Great before. director. Yeah, you've probably both met him before. Um, uh, And he, he said to us, uh, he was a budding video director back then. He goes, you know, you guys kind of suck. Mark, you can't really sing, <laughs> but there's a vision. You know, at least my friends are telling me the truth. But there's a visual element here. I think I could connect, uh, uh, capture on a video. And in the early 90s, people were still sending uh, cassettes, demo cassettes to AR people. So we said, you know, that's a good idea. Let's jump off the page a little with the video. McGee um, made this video. He robbed Peter to pay Paul on his parents' credit cards. And somehow we got this 35-millimeter video that looked like it belonged to TV. And which song? Which
5: song was that? Fly?
7: It was at, actually for a song called Caboose, David. Oh. That um, uh, that that made our first record, Lemonade and Brownies. Uh, but we had two original songs. One was called Caboose, and one was called Lick Me. We went for the least <laughs> offensive title. Okay. okay. Yes, <laughs> okay. I can understand Caboose. Different times.
2: Different <laughs> times. <laughs> different <Christine>. hook. Different <laughs> hook there. <laughs> yes, exactly.
7: <laughs> so Atlantic bought it. That, that the, the the president of Atlantic Records, Doug Morris, at the time said. I don't know what this is, but in this era of grunge and all this, these guys are having so much fun. It reminds me why I got into the music business. And uh, Doug Morris is a legendary, iconic figure in uh, the music industry, still is today. Um, and so he kind of just, you know, waved his hand and said, sign these guys. So we and they got signed out of New York, even though we were an L.A. band. So our, our whole career has been the serendipitous you know, events that we've had no control over. I wish I would say it was the brainchild and all my ideas, but it wasn't. We just got very, very lucky. So Rodney, it was his band.
5: He was the lead guitarist. You come in, you do flips into the pool to make up for your (laughs) subpar (laughs) vocals at the time. To literally,
2: literally and figuratively make a splash. (laughs) Yes. To make a splash. There you go. And then
5: you guys just grew together and you, you ended up writing a lot of the lyrics, right? I mean, you're one of the
7: songwriters. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the drummer, Stan that was in that original Tories band, too, also became a member of Sugar Ray. And we picked up a guy who was kind of on the peripheral of that whole scene down in Orange County. Again, in Murphy Cargis to play bass. And so that was the core four of Sugar mm-hmm. Ray. We stayed together for 23 years. You know, we had a really good run. Um, then the guys decided, uh, Stan and Murphy decided not to, to do music anymore. Uh, and Rod and I are still in the band. But yeah, you know, a lot, Stan, Rodney, and I were the major songwriters in the band. Um, I did probably 75% of the lyrics in Sugar Ray, but that's not to say I was uh, exclusively doing the lyrics and they could come from anywhere. I mean, I, I made up someday with the bass and I'm not even a bass player, but it was just a simple bass line. So I think that was really a, uh, a, a huge um, asset to the band is that. There was no main songwriter, you know, we kind of learned together how to sort of come up with these uh, these songs. And we found a producer I could never undervalue his contributions, David Kahn, who really led us to the promised land and 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 just put a a big professional production, uh, a shiny gloss, if you will, on these songs. Right. But it was a real collaboration. I mean, that's
5: where the best. Music. I mean, I, I'm obsessed with the Beatles documentary. So I, every every time I interview a musician, I got I got to reference that. But it was like all hands on deck. And when you get together and it's a collaboration, I think that's where some of the best work comes from.
7: I think you're right. You know, and a lot of times like I'd write a versus right, write ver- like fly is a perfect example, uh, which was our breakthrough.
5: Seriously, great song.
7: Oh, thank you, bro. Oh, I mean, you know, the
2: best, the best. There's no version where that song comes on and people just don't want to jump up and dance, right? I, that's yeah. such a
7: huge compliment. You know, it's that's just so, so it's true. So nice it's
2: a happy song. It's just such a good song. I mean, just in the vibe, it's it's incredible.
7: It's been so. Thank you, Christine. It's it's been so good to us. It's the reason why I'm still performing today, speaking with you guys. That was our first our first number one, our first real look at MTV, hearing our songs unsolicited on K-Rock, you know, which was the station we grew up in, you know, was the mecca of all radio, uh, gave us our first gold record, platinum record, double platinum record, got Atlantic Records. I started getting calls from Ahmed Erdogan then, once hit, and I'm like, oh, there's levels to this record company. So, (laughs) so, Uh super grateful for that. But kind of how that song came about is our our drummer started writing... um, uh, a, a bit of a song uh, uh, called Fly. He had a little bit of it. And I, and all, all, uh, all honesty, I hated it first because we, uh, we were coming from, we were coming from like the, the more aggressive approach, David, you know, like the, the, uh, the sort of corn uh, deft tones. We were kind of hanging on that thing. We had a little bit of uh, traction in that area. And I go, I don't know if that's the best idea to throw this song at everybody. And the way it was really presented to me, it was just the chorus and it was sung in a falsetto. So it was going like, I just want to like Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I, I, just, I was like, oh, God. I feel like a little bit of me died. And we were in New York recording this, and it was our last chance. This was Atlantic Records' last chance uh, for giving us any money to do anything. And I called McGee, my best friend. I go, dude, have you heard? Th- I-, I just can't. He goes, dude, what are you going to do? Come home? Work the door at Glanville or Granville or whatever the hell you want to What are you going to do? Right. He Because why don't you give it a shot? Just see if you can, like, create some verses, see what you can do. And I begrudgingly went back, and I'm glad he, he really inspired me to do that and nudged me that way. So I came up with the verses, you know, all around the world. And so I kind of brought it back. Like down to where my voice was going to be, and then it started making sense to me. You know, then David Kahn got a hold of it. Our producer started adding the really cool little production touches that you hear that really add the gravitas to the song. That really make it a classic. You know, I don't want to be so bold and say that, but the people have spoken. You know,
5: Uh, (laughs) oh, it is a classic. That's an understatement. The the, the lyrics are so aspirational for. Uh, a guy in his 20s that I just want to fly. Like, I mean, statues around the world crumble for me. Like, you know, when you're young and and you romanticize things, you're like, I'm going to go as far as I can. I'm going to, it's just, it lifts you up, man. It's a great song.
7: Thank you, David. And the irony of that is we were at our lowest point lyrically spiritually you know we were in new york it was the winter we you know it's song was written in the middle of manhattan in a dingy you know <laughs> studio with like all the chips were down or record already came out It was gonna be our last gaff. so there was not this like hopeful optimism in the song you know and there are some dark lyrics in it that are sort of reflective of that period but when you know stan our drummer wrote the chorus and i wrote the verses and i didn't ask him what he thought it was about i just wrote my version of what i thought he was talking about oh and, my god and i think that universality kind of comes into play because there's a there's a push and pull with the lyrics in there and i've never asked him what it was about he's never asked me what it's about but people have asked me what it's about and i've told fans of the song and early when the song came out it was a hit people go mark what does the song mean and i would tell them and they would break down crying my interpretation and they go because i I thought it meant this and about like my mom and stuff. And that's when I stopped saying what the lyrics meant. I stopped doing that because once these songs go out on the air, become a property of the world, meaning they get in the top 10, they get in the top five. uh, God bless you get to number one. It becomes property of the world. And I'm not a big new age guy like that, but I've gone through and I've made the mistakes of not letting people take ownership of these songs because yes, we wrote them, but you're your songs completely once they're out there.
2: Yeah. I heard an interview recently with Ed Sheeran, who said the same thing. He doesn't like to tell people what the song is about. Because what it's about for him does not, once it's out in the world, it could be about anything. And it does become your own. And it needs to be, it can become your wedding song. It can become your, the, the song, you know, it could have a totally different meaning for someone else. And I thought that is so interesting because I do think that the the curiosity of the fans and the people who are listening always want to be in the mind of the musician, right? Of, I want to feel what he was feeling. And and it's really true that it's going to become your own thing no matter what, once it's out in the world. If if it's a moment that you had the best first date or whatever. And that's so beautiful. And it's also par- part of, you know, how you kind of have to let it go, right? At a certain point.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think most songwriters, you kind of become a vessel for a song. You know, like lyrics just start flowing in your head and like melodies start coming in your head. I don't know where it comes from. People ask me how to write a song. I go, I don't know. You start doing it. You have anything in your head? Like, what's the phrase you have in your head? So like, sometimes we don't know where the song comes from. I know there's certain points, like some things are about, you know, my then girlfriend is now my wife for sure. They're very literal and stuff, but then you start getting into like, you know, surreal abstract thoughts that kind of influence your songwriting. So sometimes, we don't know what they mean either, but your <laughs> meaning is just as valid as our <laughs> meaning. And that's and that, the beauty that
5: we... of art, right? Is yeah, the
7: interpretation of the
5: audience, whether it's a painting or a film or a song, it, your song could mean a million different things to a million different people. And I think that's that's the beauty
7: of it, right? Yeah, bullseye, David, because like I said, there are you know two of us involved in writing Fly. I've never asked Stan, the other co-writer, what he was talking about because I didn't have to. I right. felt wow. it. I right. felt the vibe, you know, and whatever I felt was valid. Didn't matter if it wasn't what he was feeling, you know, because the music is the emotion and you're, you're, you're right on bullseye day when you, when you say that it's, it's it's your interpretation. That's what makes art. And I, I don't like to be precious and call what I do art, but that's what makes I guess art is feeling right. And when you when you when you feel something, it's effective. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's what makes art special and yeah, express
2: this- it creatively right when yeah. you're expressing it creatively that's where that's it's it's that's where the subjective nature of it is
7: That's exactly right. Um, I
2: just do you do you call Mick G on a daily basis and thank him and hug him every day <laughs> for for talking day. you back into the studio like that's incredible that you were like no this is not working at all I'm not feeling this and you had a best buddy it was like what do you got to lose? Like, go, I mean, that's ama- that's an amazing story.
7: It's an incredible story. I mean, I've been best friends with him for 45 years. We've gone on this journey of life together, never mind the career of Sugar Ray. So he knew me better than anybody. And he's been such a wonderful cheerleader, supporter, collaborator. He did all of our videos. He, he directed all of our videos. Um, you know, I just was with him the other night watching the Lakers play. And he came down and watched us at Beach Life Festival and Redondo Beach last weekend. I mean, you know, I, I think, the the thing about life what i found out it's it's about relationships and when you stack years and relationship that's the good stuff and don't get me wrong material things are nice money's great all that's great but having relationships with people and friendships man that that's that's that sweet stuff of life and so grateful i have a friend like that that was you know christine able to tell me the truth you know and Mm -hmm. and and let me know like dude you're making a big big giant mistake and i was i was i was uh I was convinced I was coming home. That was it. So he literally made me turn around and figure it out. And we did. And did you, just because you,
5: you did go to USC, you have a degree in communications. I'm reading here. From the time you formed the band, were your parents pushing back on you uh, to go into music? And, and it took you a number of years probably till you
7: made a living, right? Absolutely. You know, David, a, 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 stereotypical, I guess, idea of parents from Newport beach paying for their son to go to USC would be right. weren't supportive of a music career. Just the opposite, just the wow. opposite. You know, my, my dad was, a, he came from, um, you know, Waterbury, Connecticut. He went out to the to, to LA in the seventies to make his mark. And, you know, he, he was not a typical Newport beach guy to say the least. And I think that was had a lot to do with his success down there. Um, but he was always super supportive, but he was not a dreamer like me. He was very he was a finance guy. He did deals between lenders and bankers and developers. So he was a very black and white about what it is and 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 making sure everything worked. And like he was a numbers guy. So he said, all right, Mark, you want to get into music? That's a little bit of a, uh, a left turn from what you were doing last week. Um,
5: with your hundred thousand dollar USC degree. Right.
7: <laughs> So he just read the book Hitman, which it was a music industry. Bible had come out in the early, and came out like 89. Oh, about 90. Sony music, right? Hitman. Exactly right. Yes. Exactly. And he'd seen, I was getting interested in music and like, it was a wonderful dad, you know, rest his soul. He, uh, he, he, he got involved in my interest and said, Mark, I, you know, this music thing's a long shot. Hope you know that. But um, listen, I have done in my research that if you don't get signed by your 25 Uh, the likelihood of you getting signed drops by 75 to 80 percent you know yeah analytics total numbers guy (laughs) super analytical (laughs) and crazy right (laughs) well thanks for making that on spawn immediately dad how old
5: were you when you got signed I was 24 years,
7: and, 10 and months. Oh, look, look at you, dude, my <laughs> right under the wire. <laughs> All the time, you know. And then, of course, Atlantic gives us a record deal, which is always one-sided to the labels. That's what it is. And I'm not an artist that's going to tell you the labels are the big, evil machine. They aren't. Labels, used well, back then, too, they used to sign 20 bands a year. 11 ever released a record, for whatever reason, ever released a record. So you originally wrote off those 10 that you signed and gave money to, Three were ever successful. Those were the numbers because my dad told me. <laughs> but but so it's so one sided for the they put out so much money to try and like develop and, and establish those artists that like it it's the business is skewed because they're loaning you money. So he looked at the deal and goes, "You know, you're really getting screwed on this deal." I go, "I know, Dad, but it's 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 institutionalized. It's what it is." He goes, the long, as you know, you're getting screwed. Then go ahead. And I go, Dad, I haven't made a penny. I haven't even sold, sold a record yet, and they're about to give me. which is a lot, 94, you know? Uh, And he goes, well, that's a good point, too. Uh, And so it was just funny. Everything with my dad was about great, but what about this? But he was just looking out for me always, you know? And there was nobody, including my mom, too, was more proud when Fly hit. Because the first record failed, David and Christine. You know, there was just a lot of, a lot of odds stacked against us and I always say this getting signed is the easiest part and that's the hardest part you know success is always the second hardest part the hardest part is staying there that's the hardest part you know so amen we, to that <laughs> Well, you know you know but, the yep. key, but that, it's really crazy how that works you know we all try to be Aerosmith ACDC or whatever we got a little cup of coffee in the big leagues and then it set us back down again. But I'm so grateful for my shot then I like to say we're a legacy We're our band has legacy songs. We never became a legacy band. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, uh, uh, David, to get back to your, to your question, the most convoluted uh, answer of all time, they were very, very supportive, never very realistic, but very supportive, especially, especially my dad.
5: Amazing parents, man. And I'm for sure. sure they, you know, when your child goes into the arts, you know, Christine's daughter is studying at one of the finest schools, sure. and you know, when they do succeed, it has to be so sweet. You know, like, yeah, man, I, we we had faith in our kid up against <laughs> all the odds, the seventy-five percent drop off, and all the analytics. And look, my kid did it. You know, and he's still but doing. You both it. did
7: it. You both did it too. You know, you beat the odds, and you know, and and, and you know, got the uh, got the golden ticket. So it's it's very hard to do, and I can't imagine not having the support of my mom and dad, you know what I mean? I mean, if I didn't, I, I cause they, it was such a backbone that the support was never not there. So my, you know, I, I actually feel for those who didn't have the support right, of their family right. at home. You know, that must be extremely tough.
5: Yeah, you need, yeah, you need a solid family or you see like a lot of young artists go off the rails, man. And I, and I, you know, Christine and I have interviewed a lot of guests who have started at a very young age. And I think Christine, right? Like the through line of these people is that they had very solid families.
2: Very supportive families who who, so, even as child actors, their parents were looking out for their best interests. I mean really, I, I think, and that's not the way it always is. So
5: right, and no. you can no. quit a, tomorrow if you want to. Don't do this for me, but I'm here to support you. It's like a, a fine balance of support, but hands off, let my kid fly, but tell them you don't have to do this. You can, you know... Find another career. So, can you take us back to like after the first album hit? Take us to like you know what happened. What was it like to become
7: so recognizable? Like how
5: did
2: life change? Like
7: yeah, and the tour life. It was funny. You guys literally, it, it you know, there was an overnight overnight success element. I guess it was an overnight fame. Let's put it that way. The, the right. Price. No, we the, know. The yeah, price. you you no. paid your dues, dude. But yeah. yeah, but
5: that album hit so big <laughs> and so furiously.
7: I don't think any of us, including myself, I didn't think Fly would be the 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 you know the song of the summer in 97. I, 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 there's no way. I, I, I felt positive about it. I thought we had a good chance. Uh, it just took off. It took off immediately. Uh, I remember I could go to the Beverly Center on a Friday, like in May of 97. That Monday, I couldn't go there. And my life, <laughs> literally, my life to change overnight. You know, there's no like there's no manual how to do this, you know, navigating celebrities, you both know it's something you can only do once you have celebrity, you know, and then it's all subjective to your own experience. So, you know, you got to learn, you got to learn as it's coming. And, you know, I've made a ton of mistakes and, and, and I, I was, smart about something stupid about others lucky like you said i get a good team of management and the label is great behind us that helped me navigate through those murky waters but it was an exciting time too because like all your dreams are coming true right right you know uh
5: right you you can't complain too much about you know there's
7: no no complaining at all it's just surreal you're asked about like this it's just bizarre to be just a guy going to swingers on beverly one day for breakfast and then the next day like the waitress are treating you a little different. Like, oh yeah, we got a table. You just got to wait 30 minutes. You
2: know? <laughs> exactly. The getting the table. That's what everyone, everyone always, always says. <laughs> says.
7: The best
5: part of fame, like big fame, is getting tables at restaurants. And getting
2: tickets it, to,
7: to, to concerts yeah. and shows,
2: right? It's those
7: two. Those are the two biggies. It's so funny you say that because people ask me like about my celebrity now. And like, it's a very passive, like, oh, there's that guy. You know, I still got the hair and all that. You know, it's part of the showbiz, you know. Um, oh. But- but and I say the best part, if I walk in a restaurant, they give me a good table. You know, it's, it's fun. They get a table and they, they treat you better than you deserve to be treated. So my celebrity is a hysteria thing. It's a very comfortable thing. People are all nicer to me on planes and stuff. It's great. There's nothing to complain about. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I did have a little brush in the ninety nine where it was kind of a little scary there. Yeah, you know, right, I'm
5: sure, dude, <laughs> at the peak of it, there are yeah. there are some downsides to it and some
7: scary yeah. downsides. Sure, I was on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know what I mean? And with that, it's gonna I mean, be God wow. cover of the Rolling Stone. You mm-hmm. know, what I, mean? yes. oh hey,
6: hey.
7: I mean, People
2: magazine's never... Sexiest Rocker of 98. How about that title? I
7: don't wanna brag. But you know, it is surreal when you're walking through an airport and you look in the, you know, the uh the, the gift shop there and you see yourself on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And oh, I felt God. like I, I went to like six flags and, and made those fake time magazine, man. <laughs> right. My friends were putting it in there, like trying to like, you know, you know, punk me or something, but yeah, it was just all super surreal, super fun. Um, I'd like to say, I, I didn't want to take myself out of that gigantic fame. It was fun, you know, and, yeah. and selling records is really super fun. Um, but I had a very comfortable coming back down period. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. I drank too much. I did stupid things. You know, there was a, a long leash to hang myself out there in the rock and roll world. You know, you show up to work. There's two cases of beer, two bottles of Jameson, two bottles of vodka. And I don't want to be rude. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> just, that's I mean, someone purchased this, right? And someone <laughs>
5: has to drink it, right? Come on, David. You know,
2: so There
7: is a learning curve of how you <laughs> tour. You know, first couple of nights you're out there like, oh, let's party and then you're like, oh my God, we've got four more months. Right. Of Unsustainable, huh. right? Right. Not everybody figures that out, you know. By the grace of God, I, you know, we we did as a band because uh, we just our success happened a little later. You know, I, I was I was 27 when uh, when Fly hit. You know, that that's that, that's super old in, in the world of. Uh, of the of, of the record industry so i'd seen bands come up the hill and come flying down a year and a half later and that terrified me more than anything did like to have you know to get the golden ring uh, on the uh, on the merry-go-round and then they have to give it back a year and a half like you just got up there you know you mm-hmm. had not finished decorating the, the guest bedroom yet and you're coming back down look out mountain you know that that terrified me so mm-hmm. That also motivated me to go. This is very special. Don't you blow this? Now I tried hurt to blow it, but I always had good people that pulled me back to just give Sugar Ray the best shot we could get, and we got a great shot. Uh, we sold ten million records. You know, two number ones, four top tens, six top forties. But who's counting? It's not important, you know. Uh, <laughs> but your, your follow up album
5: debuted at number one, also right? Like you you kept it going.
7: We did. And, and the, you know, the funny thing is I, you know, after the success of Florida, which had fly on it and fly was the anomaly on that record. It was the only song that sounded like fly. Everything else was kind of harder and, and grungier and just, and, and more rap Rocky, if you will, because that's kind of the lane that we found ourselves in with the first record, you know, then we stumbled upon this fly song, uh, and, and put it in the, the, on the record. Cause it sounded so great, but, because of the success of that record off one song, critics were quick to go, "Oh, thanks for playing one-hit wonders." You know, the one-hit wonder cruise ships over here with Kaja oh. Gugu and <sighs> Mama and all your friends. You know, and, in, and, and y- know. you
5: must have had some doubt in your mind. Are we are we one-hit wonders? Right? Like, of course. You got now. Yes. You got You got to prove yourself,
7: Dave. The song came out of nowhere. I mean, I was still enjoying the fruits of having this one song, and eight <laughs> months later, they're like, "Thanks for playing. You're off the charts. Goodbye." Uh. And I'm like, but but. Uh, uh, I want to go into the whiskey bar. <laughs> oh, <somebody did. laughs> so we went back to write the the, the third record, um, and we're writing it. And I go, "How huh, this song's pretty decent." Yeah, you know, we had. We had, the, the, we had 80% of every morning done, a lot of Sunday done, Falls Apart, which was another number one song at Alternative. When It's
5: Over is a great mm. song, too.
7: Yeah. When It's Over came on the, the rec- record after uh, the record I'm talking about. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. But, okay. but it's very much in that vein of songwriting, David, for sure. But... What I want to say about this record I'm talking about the floor is that no one was more aware of the precarious position we were in in the music industry than us. I've always been super self-effacing about me, the band, everything. Much of the band's chagrin. Almost too much, you know. It's kind of how I lead with It's my self-defense mechanisms. It's all my insecurities. Humility is a
5: great quality to have. I, I think so. The opposite is like, arrogance.
7: Yeah, that's that sucks. Believe me, and I would have no basis to I'd be arrogant about anything. But so saying that way, I was thinking, what's the title of this record going to be? You know, it's got to be something that, you know, I, we got to do something with this record title. Let people know what we're going to do. So I was over at Chandara on Coanga there in Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard. Yes. I
6: remember, Ooh, yes, now, I love the
7: these
2: references. Chandara. Yes,
7: best Thai food ever. Um, and we were we were uh, recording the record at a place called Swing House across the street from Chandara. And I'm in there going, what are we going to call this record? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I thought about Andy Warhol's Everybody Has Their 15 Minutes of Fame in the Future. That was his quote he had. And I go, oh, my God. 14 minutes and 59 seconds is going to be the title of this record. Because we'll just let everybody know we've got one more second of fame left with All this right. record.
6: And if oh, it doesn't genius. work, it's just-
7: Right, but if it doesn't work, it's the best title ever. And if it doesn't work, <laughs> who cares? It's the best title ever. It's the best title ever. So thankfully, fourteen fifty nine ended up selling three million copies, a million more than Floor did, and really let people know, oh God, Sugar Ray's going to be around for a little bit. You know, no, we're going to have to keep frosting our tips. What about buckle bully. in?
2: <laughs> buckle in, they're here right? to stay.
7: Oh. And, and that was that was the record, you guys. That I said, okay, this this looks like it will be a career. You know, um. There's just, you know, every morning was number one. Sunday was number three. Falls Apart was number one on alternative radio. And back then, these songs were going to all the genres of radio because that's what happened there. They started alternative radio, the K-rocks of the world. Every morning went to number one. Then it went to pop. You know, the Kiss FM's of the world went to number one. Then we'd go to coast. And, and like, you know, the AC, the stop rock places. And it went to number one there. So we were getting just multiple, multiple spins for months and months and months of every morning and Sunday. So it really was like, Really integrated into the radio and, and people's transients, if you will, back then. Um, and so I went. We might, we might be around for a while. We got to open for the Rolling Stones on on the on the uh, touring cycle of that record. I mean, just oh just, my god! Are you what was that? Over? What yeah. was that
2: like? Did you was that the moment where it's like holy crap? Like how are we here? How are we?
7: Yes, Christine, it was all that <laughs> and. I think the Rolling Stones audience also said, holy crap, what are these guys doing? <laughs> 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 Might not be the right, the same
5: crossover, but...
2: I'm not the same,
7: holy crap. What an experience. But you know, you know, what's funny just because you're kind of talking about stopping and smelling the flowers and going, oh my God, is it going to get any better than this? Well, we were opening for the Rolling Stones in Las Vegas, I believe it was in April of 99. And, um, you know, it was towards the end of the set and we played Fly. So the audience was... They, they were kind. They, they were warming up to this. And they, they could kind of see they let these puppies on stage that were just so excited to be there. <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of endearing to the audience. And then I go, hey, guys, I just want to say thanks so much for putting up the Sugar It's truly been a dream come true. I don't know how anything get better than this moment right now for me personally. But I just want to say every morning is number one this week and uh, on the Hot 100. So opening for the Stones, having a number one song, it can't get any better than this. Thank you so much for for, ha- for having uh, us and I look over the monitor world, and Mick and Keith are staring at us, watching us play. And I go,
5: "Oh my! Wait
7: God. a minute! It just it got just a little got- better." <laughs> They're watching us right there, and I said to myself, "Self, this might be the best point of your career. It might be the highlight. I don't know. I can get better." And I got to enjoy every second of that because I was so cognizant of the moment. Now things got close, but they never got better to that moment. So that was just. Uh, that was the all-time moment of my career for sure. Opening for the oh. Stones, number one song, and Mick and Keith watching. You know, I'll I just got goosebumps. Yeah, I feel like I
5: was, <laughs> was there amazing. with you. I'm my '90s self is so proud of you for following yes. up that first album, proving everyone you're not a one hit wonder, and you know, making the making moments like that. Oh my god.
7: Yeah, it was a dream come true. All our parents were there, all our friends were there. They came wow. all up from Newport Beach, and you know, I was calling members of my second grade soccer team, AYSO soccer team, going, Hey, what do you have to do? Nothing, bro, just open for the stones tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody had to know, it was so cool. I mean, it's like Spicoli, and we're gonna open for the stones, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna head so over and
5: jam with the stones. Exactly, <laughs> I like your tie, dude. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing man and you seem yeah. like you really I, I i with all the i'm sure the booze and the drugs and the girls everything you know throwing at you if you wanted to indulge you might not be here or you might you might be a very I indulge. i'm not gonna say i didn't i, you no, know, but I, I mean did. you seem like you stayed your your true self you're like, you can't believe you're opening for the stone. You never got, it never got to your head. It seems like from what you're, you're telling me, your boys were still your boys that you grew up with.
7: But David, I also super like realistic about my talent level. You know, my talent level was never to be, to have a number one song, the opening for the stones. That was never my, that wasn't the talent set skill set I was given. So like, I'm not really dissing myself. I'm like big upping myself. I should be anybody out there with a weird dream in the back of your head that won't go away. Don't let it go away. You know what I mean? Because like like I said, I, and I've said it three times, I'll say it again, I had three things going against me in the music business. <laughs> couldn't sing, couldn't play an instrument, couldn't write a song. So <laughs> those are three big ones. For some mid-level guy from Newport Beach to make it happen. How could I ever be arrogant or flippant about the success of this band? Now, I was a, I was a small part of it. I was a cog in the machine. It wasn't all about me. There was other folks involved in uh, writing the songs. Uh, our producer, David Conn, was a gigantic part of it. We talked about McGee, Atlantic Records with their uh, incredible the way they dealt with us was amazing. I had the best experience with them. We had publishing companies that were working for us. So it was a lot of, it took a village to make this thing successful. So mm. I didn't I don't want to rip it down myself. I thought it would be um I, I I I had a responsibility to other people around me, you know. But we definitely had fun, man. I'm not gonna say we did not, bro. You know what I mean? That's what we started the band for, you know
5: right but you kept a level head it seems like uh
7: try to, uh, to and
5: and that comes from your family i think i mean you know your parents sound like they really gave you a good uh foundation
7: there was always a moral compass clicking in the back right. of my head it always brought me back and thankfully like i was never a guy to wake up and have a drink or anything like that it never appealed to me you know what i mean but i like to have fun and when it wasn't time to have fun it was time to work you know
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I don't understand what the big fat ones are.
2: You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean...
5: So you had a you had a communications degree and then let's talk about the flip to hosting um you know you ended this up
2: next used- chapter the next yeah. chapter
7: don't try to tie that degree <laughs> into hosting was not, there was no cor- no correlation at all Co- no, what I do you mean that, you're uh, communicating uh, to a wide audience <laughs> on tv you know david i tried to do uh business at usc full disclosure okay i was taking the easiest math class i think it was math 117 at usc at the time um it was like a like an early calculus class i failed it so miserably that i remember <laughs> yeah the <laughs> professor came up to me goes mark if you change your major i'll give you a c minus you're getting an f and my dad a numbers guy wanted me to maintain a 3.0 i wasn't going to pay for it which is a fair deal right yeah, yeah. Had I got that F, I would have gotten a 2-4, and I, I my dad would have yanked me out. He was a man of his word. Uh, the guy gave me a C- and so I got a 3.01, just enough to let me uh, do the next semester. And that was my freshman uh, first semester, my freshman year. And I go, what am I going to do now? What's going to be my major? I look around. It was all the football players. Rodney Pete was over there. <laughs> oh, oh, my the- gosh. I think I'll take that one. So that's how I became a communications major by default. Though so, – I will say this. I know now it's a very different scholarship, very distant discipline at USC. And, and communication is amazing now, a little different back then. Um, and I wouldn't be able to get USC now with the grades I had back then. But that's another story. So we did sort of get into this extra thing. Now, in 2003, our record in the pursuit of Malaysia did not necessarily set the world on fire and let's <laughs> say the beginning of the end was starting for Sugar Ray and bands in our fraternity like uh, Smash Mouth, Third Eye Blind, Everclear, Gin Blossoms we were falling out of favor in radio for the next cycle of people to do it we've been there about five years that's a that's a long time
2: yeah know? as things happen that way the cycle it, it is there's there people are churning them out right so
7: exactly yeah right. No one wants to listen to their older brothers or older sisters' music when it becomes their turn to listen to their music. Yeah. So the bands like The Strokes and Interpol were coming in, and The Vines, and yep. taking any radio space had for us. So after the uh, touring cycle their of inter Leisure, it was about 2003, late 2003, I had a couple calls to return. Some of the guys in our band were having kids, and they wanted to, you know, watch their kids grow and just take a little break. I go, sure, well, what the hell am I going to do? So Extra had called uh, a lady named Lisa G., I don't know if anybody, if that rings bells for anybody, but she's uh, she's well-known in that world, in the entertainment news world. She related to um, Mick G? No, 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 no. A different G? Uh, a G I, I no held word. back
2: on that one. I was going to go for not it, you but it. I, I, did, it. I, know you I, I didn't go for it. And David went for it. You
7: guys Sorry. have a long, long years of thinking alike, you two. Yes, for, we do. Um, <laughs> so she reached out just made a call and said, would Mark be willing to come audition for, for uh, a hosting job? She called my manager at the time. And my manager knows knows I would never go for an audition in my life. It's just I, I can't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Smart. So so uh, he goes, hey Mark, would you like to take a meeting with the people at uh, at Extra? I go, sure, why not? Hey, y'all show business a little. Who cares? And I go down and take a meeting, and I'm talking, and I'm I, I still don't know what's happening. I'm super loose, and I'm at my, my I'm at my best, like wittiness, which is very hard to do. Um, <laughs> And so I was just super comfortable and like relaxed so I'm like well, hey what's this and so they I was talking to Lisa G I, I did a little bit of an interview they they basically bamboozled me got me on the stage and i remember Jason Momoa was just like stunt guest guy they had who was on like he was on like Baywatch nights or North Shore or something there and they didn't even know if they were going to use it on extra but they wanted to use him to see if i could uh in my audition that I didn't know was an audition. I was
2: going to say, you were bamboozled into an audition without realizing you were in an audition,
5: right?
7: <laughs> the only way they would have got him to audition. Uh, in a million years, David. They go, do you want to see the stands? I go, sure. They threw me the mic. I was doing like Sammy Davis things in the mic. I go, hey, oh, look out. Hollywood <laughs> last night. Let's take a walk. And they bring Jason Momoa out. And he's in, a, he's in like one of those Hawaiian grass skirts. You know what I mean? And, oh, and, and my God. He was just doing his thing. I'm like, what the... Surreal, and, and I go, Hey, dude, you free bowling under there? And I was I was just, on, I, was just I was on one, you know. And then I went, Hey, thanks, guys. do the mic and left. That was my <laughs> meeting You dropped the yeah. mic, <laughs> right? Through the mic, I'm, I'm hey, done. <laughs> mic drop, and so I get a call back three hours later Hey, would Mark be interested in hosting, co hosting extra, you know? And I'm like, wh- What does that even mean? They go, Well, you have to show up five days a week. I go, hmm five days a week it's a real job with a commute and all that so it, it, they they threw me a lot of money i'm not gonna lie that that made a, that sweetened it up a little bit But i had no idea what i was doing like i've never been afraid to fail in front of people and this was no exception um coming from the world of music you know you want to hit the back row and there's a lot of gesticulations and big movements right you guys know better than i do about tv and film it, it's smaller you know yeah. there's, there's it's, it's 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 reserved. I mean, Clint Eastwood made a career of raising his eyebrow. You know, it, it's 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 subtle. I had no subtleties when I went to extra. So I had to learn in front of people. Um, and that well, was- why, the, big, the producers
5: kept telling you to pull it back a little bit? Like, <laughs>
7: every, they go, that was great, but-
5: Bring it I down a little bit. bit. <laughs> I,
7: you know?
5: You're not playing to 50,000.
7: Exactly. Jay. I remember my, my big struggles, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I was like, holding them like this and doing like the 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 v thing and i'd be like hey guys welcome how i just I totally i I get it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it was and everything is so mad you know uh just just blown up because you're on tv i i could see if i had a big weekend like where you in my chin i was just you guys know it's just such a gnarly business but um (laughs) they were super cool to me they helped me they, they were they you know they they really wanted me to be there. and I, I credit extra and and it was super fun to do. I've met some of the smartest people in my life on that show because I'll tell you why you show up at six in the morning, there's no show. and they put one of them together and they're constantly moving segments and blocks and all that, and stuff that's beyond my pay grade or skill set. but man, they they really were patient with me and 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 I basically figured out how to do it and and slowly learned how to do it. Uh, I remember this is kind of a, I benchmarked for me at extra. It was about six months in my tenure there. I was getting a coffee at seven 11 or about six in the morning. Uh, and I saw this kind of like gnarly shady dude, like neck tattoos, which was kind of scary in 2004 um, getting a coffee. And it looked like he'd been up all night. You know what I mean? I go, Oh God, here we go. here we go. And he comes up to me. He goes, Hey Mark. I go, Hey bro, what's up? And he goes, Hey dude, you sucked when you started extra, but you're getting better, man. Keep it up. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Oh, no. The backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest backhand compliment of all time. So I ended up doing that, you guys, about four years. Now, I I, I I never quit the band during that time. The band never stopped playing. We still did about 30, 40 shows a year. We just didn't do the band, uh, like record uh, tour cycle um, because music's always going to be my first love and I love to perform. We released the greatest hits record during that time. But, you know, it was the right thing to do to kind of pivot out of music um, and, and have that be my, my primary focus because... Um, I love my time there. I love my co-host, Dana Devon. She was amazing. But it wasn't my. it wasn't. Your passion, your love, your, yes. You know, and I remember particularly a night when that happened to me, when I, a little bit of my soul died, if you will. Um, We went out to interview um, Al Pacino and he was doing a play out in Pasadena okay like Othello or something something in a million years we're not going to cover his making Othello and all we're entertainment news for Britney Paris you know uh (laughs) Lindsay that's what we were especially back early
2: 2000s yep exactly
7: Christine exactly so I'm like oh my god so I'm asking him 20 things about Othello how he gets involved how you decide about how's your theater (laughs) and I know things but Britney and Kevin had just broken up okay now in the back of my mind, I know I've got to ask this question to Al Pacino. This oh, no. no. No, no, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Oh, no. No. So I'm going, <laughs> yeah, so what about Othello? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Right, Othello's so cool. You did such a good job. Hey, Al, I got to ask, because, you know, that's kind of what we do here. What do you think about um, Brittany and Kevin breaking up? And he looks at me and he goes, you're better than that, and walked away. Oh, went, my ah. God. He I called no, no, you no. out
5: on it. Oh, Jesus.
7: Die a little bit. I, go, I can't, I can't, I can't. And by the way, I knew why they did that because on the opening of the, the uh, Extra the Next Side, it was like, and hear what Al Pacino says about Kevin and Brittany breaking up. Hey, Al, what do you think about Kevin and Brittany breaking up? They cut it. And then when they show the package, they go, well, Al was a little bit shy to say what he really feels, but we'll find You know, they just wrap it up and like, just want to get that little second sound the, the bite. Sound moment.
5: bite, yeah. The oh. earliest
7: yeah. clickbait, right? Exactly. And by the way, that's part of the show, that's what they do. It just wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But I, I really enjoyed my, my time there at XRM I'm grateful for it all. And it gave me a set of tools called
5: hosting, which I still use today, you know? Uh, you have your own show on uh, SiriusXM, right?
7: Yeah, I have a radio show that I do on like weekends. And what I want to do at, at SiriusXM in the 90s on nine, that's the channel I'm on. Makes sense, right? Um, <laughs> I want to have a live show on SiriusXM. This is what I'm hoping going to do next. So, when there's big news in the world of the 90s, or God forbid someone passes away, we also have like a home base, a nest, if you will, to talk about, to like commiserate, to, to, to re- remember, have memories with. So, that's the next thing I'm working on. Hopefully, we'll get that in. Uh, that's serious XM pretty pretty soon. But like, you know, I, I travel a lot, so it's kind of hard to coordinate schedules, but keep an eye out for that. Awesome. 90s on nine.
2: You're such a natural. I mean, I I respect. I mean, I really, I mean, obviously now we're we're getting the version of you that has, you know, that extra trained. And but I you are such a natural storyteller. And I know like it's different performing for, you know, stadiums of 50,000 people. But um, you know, what I love is your honesty about. Like, you need a certain personality to be able to ask those questions to, you know, performers that you respect, that you, you know what I mean? And when you reach that limit, because, you know, I'm sure it was an, a nice gig to have. And, but you said it wasn't your your true love. And and so I just, I, that really struck me because I think we all have been victims of those questions. Sure on a red carpet where it some, has nothing to do with the event you're at or what you're even there talking about. And then you're just sort of thrown this question about people you may not even know and you don't want to say the wrong thing. But for Al, <laughs> I mean,
0: you're I was better than that.
2: as you were telling the story, Who's and I, I was sweating for you. I was
7: just sweating for you. We've all cringed you.
5: at things we've been asked to do in this. Yes. Before. We've all cringed. Uh, it,
7: it was just the wrong guy to ask. And you know what? Well, but I, I really admire those who do that, and they're, they're really great at their jobs. I just I wasn't that good at it either. I should have made him feel comfortable asking the question. But what really made me admire people, Christine, I've interviewed Ben and stuff like that. Is people that play the game like they know like you know this this isn't a question i wrote by myself you know what i mean just play along just just show it with me a little
2: and Of I'll course get it, get it done the quicker it's going to be over you, know? you guys do you remember it was it it circulated <laughs> recently the jeff goldblum reaction to when someone asked him about the sony and marvel no. franchise oh, oh God. you got to look at up. my my daughter who's you know a, a, a in her, just finishing up her third year at Juilliard is like a trained actor. And she has every line of this Jeff Goldblum response memorized that she performs for us, uh, like at the drop of a hat. Look it up, David. But it's really like Jeff Goldblum playing along on a red carpet of somebody asking him a question about what do you think about the Sony and Marvel franchise? And you just see Jeff Goldblum start, nope, nope the first i've heard of it and you just and they like there's an edit of it and he's like oh i'm crestfallen Cre- like it is <laughs> brilliant i mean
5: he's an acting teacher he's a, like a true uh but,
0: but yeah. he's a
2: sport like he like like what you said he's there he's doing an interview for whatever it was access or extra or et whatever it was it was it he just went along with it so you Wait, get extra you,
5: mark was it you <laughs> Did you no, ask him? No, it no, you know? wasn't okay, me. Okay, thank goodness. He, me. <laughs> he had long
2: retired. Mark had long retired from his hosting
7: days. But um, but, yeah, yeah, that's I think, amazing. I think you're right. You're saying, like, make, make a moment of it, you know, embrace it. Like, if we all know it just be, it is what it is. It is you what know? it is. Yeah. We don't all
2: have to take Part it too business. seriously all, all the time that's in this business, all. right? That-
5: that's let's all. let's talk about your touring dates this summer so you you got where are you playing and how many dates and who, who is it the whole band back together or you and rodney or what
7: yeah i'm doing too rodney rodney's always been the band so there's two original members left myself and rodney we, we, you know this is our this is who we are it's what we do and i'm, I'm right. thankful for the other two original guys they've left music they don't play music professionally anymore so you know they're doing what they want to do and god right. bless you know? Um, but this summer, you can check out uh, my my uh, website markreat com. I'm gonna be on the road with Mr. Brent Michaels, if you will. Oh, uh, Sweet, yeah. So, we're playing some big sheds. And you know, Brent went out with his band Poison last year on that Motley Crue uh, Def Leppard tour, which was a gigantic success. So, Live Nation said, Hey, Brent, why don't you do your own show? He was kind enough to ask me to be a part of it. So, I'm going to do about four or five songs with his band. Um, and then we have uh, Night Ranger opening, and Jefferson Starship is playing. Oh, so uh, cool. Right, and then and then in September, and August, uh, mid August, we're going out with the Gin Blossom Sugar Ray. We'll be going out with the Gin Blossoms, um, Tonic, and Fastball to do about three weeks, and uh, pretty much on the East Coast, a little bit of the Midwest as well. So, what I think is cool is that, like, I've been have such a diverse, varied careers, so I'm able to go out with Brett Michaels, like these '80s metal, <laughs> right, and the <laughs> I Gin was gonna Blossoms. Say, oh yes. my god! Right? And then dip into my little '90s over here when it's time. So. I don't know. I just feel super grateful that I always say I have four songs. We'll travel acapella, my band, your band, to tracks, you know, to bongos. However, you want to hear these songs, I'm happy to deliver them, you know.
5: What a great attitude. Fantastic. Man. I, mean, yeah, I know you, you
2: just have it feels like you're just l- l- loving it all. And I really it's, it's infectious. And I think, you know, even David and I, when we started this together, it was like, I was like at that period, you talked about friendships and and the people that you've known and that you've, you know, it's like David and I, we have so much history and and staying connected to those people that you love and just sort of like having fun, you know? I that's, feel like that's what that's you and I are part. doing, doing this, David, yeah. right? And we get to meet great people like you and hear your story. So I, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on. Oh. I feel like those concert this summer like sounds like a dream for me. Like those are oh, all my great.
7: songs <laughs> of my era. <laughs> you're all welcome, anyone. I'll get you backstage, man. We'll show you how mm. we do it. But uh, we'd be honored to have you, you both. And I got to say, I was truly honored to be asked to be part of the podcast. You both are wonderful. I felt very welcomed and great questions. Thanks for caring. Thanks for the smile on my face. Just super grateful for the time.
5: Thank you so you're much, man. Awesome. We've been fans of yours for a very long time, and uh, keep up the great work. And thank you for being with us.
2: Yeah, have the best summer.
7: Thank you, Christine. Take care,
5: David. All right. Thanks, Mark.
2: Bye. Woo-hoo. How much fun
5: is he? What? A, I mean, seriously, he's like, talk about someone who's just optimistic and positive and enjoying life wherever it takes him. Yes. It's a good, like, uh, just a good guy.
2: He, I want to listen to his serious show too, but he's such a natural, he he is such a natural host. He's so, so um, charismatic.
5: He's charismatic. He's likable he's like innately like and, and if you're gonna host extra or et or what does what mm-hmm.
2: mario host what is mario's access access, or access, access if, yeah. like
5: mario too just a likable guy you, you look ha- at him yes. you want to hear him talk you want to spend yes. an hour with him yes uh, even you know,
2: though even though el pacino says he's <laughs> better than that <laughs> you're better than that I, oh I what a great that, story
5: that's when he quit the show <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so a great, great. story all right, well, another great interview. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed Mark McGrath. And uh, we should go see a show of his this summer, we right? We really
2: should. When, he's, uh, when he was giving the lineup, I, I, that sounds like so much fun. We yeah, should. Yeah,
5: he's probably so great live. I've never seen them live, but. Uh,
2: and, and he'll hook us up. He'll give us backstage passes. So we gotta do it.
5: Yeah, he says that now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's <laughs> like, David and Christine, who?
2: <laughs> yeah. No, don't let them
5: back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any David and Christine.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. All right. It was great having everybody. It's good to see you, David. We'll see you next week. Another great guest coming up. And um, thanks yes. for listening.
5: Have a great week,
7: everybody. You too, Christine
4: OK, round two. name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire,
7: huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See
4: website for details.
2: You don't put those inside of you, do you?
1: This is a show about women.
2: I mean...
3: Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother Jonah.
4: And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird?
3: Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today.
4: Check out our episodes where we welcome hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's
3: it! That's really it! And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an
1: opportunity
4: to interview Leonard the Capitol. <laughs> As a high school student. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like (laughs) Change.Dork. Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself.
3: Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Shannon Doherty, host of the new
1: podcast, Let's Be Clear, with Shannon Doherty. So in this podcast, I'm going to be talking about marriage divorce, my family, my career. I'm also going to be talking a lot about cancer, the ups and the downs, everything that I've learned from it. It's going to be a wild ride. So listen to Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.